Welcome to A Court of Transformation and Awakening. I'm Lori Gray. And I'm Amanda Grace Harrison. And today we are discussing book one, chapter three. Court of Thorns and Roses. Okay, so this chapter, Feyre and her sisters go to the market to sell the hides to get some money to buy some stuff. Yes. <laughs> there we go. In a nutshell, there's the chapter. And- in a nutshell okay again these early chapters there's so much in them as they're trying to give us a picture of her town and her life we meet the what are they called the children of the blessed Mm -hmm. is that what they're called um super interesting stuff Mm -hmm. i don't know if i necessarily have much to say about that except that that's a thing that's (laughs) that's happening and we'll learn more about them later um we also have another brief moment of, again, just, there's just all drip throughout here is Feyre's relationship with her painting. So we see again on 25 where she talks about she she met, um, oh, so she meets the mercenary, right? So she, we leave the, the acolytes, she meets the mercenary. And again, she's like, I pushed against that useless part of my mind. The instinct that had me thinking about color and light mm. and shape. And I kept my shoulders back. Um, and we we see these things so many often, so often where she has this wonderful gift and she constantly just thinks it's useless and it's worthless. And she's constantly talking so badly about herself. Yeah. She calls that part of this. her mind useless over and over. Over and over. She has developed this story. Which I mean, again, it's it's not helpful for hunting necessarily. But still, yeah, this self-judgment and this place where she could love this part of herself. And she does not. She doesn't. But one thing I will say about that little scene when she meets the mercenary that I thought was hilarious. Because when you're initially reading the physical description of her, her tan face seemed hewn of granite. So to me, I'm like seeing this older i'm thinking i mean i'm thinking she's at least 55 and then she gets a couple couple paragraphs later she could have been aged anywhere from 25 to 30 and you're like like, oh oh oh, never mind i'm sorry what (laughs) she seemed like she's made out of granite but she so she's just hard but she's not older well older than pharah but not older than me quite a bit younger than me <laughs> that's hilarious which by the way i do that pretty often we were talking about this now this is this is a uh, book two stuff but sometimes the author will tell me what a person looks like but then i i change them in my mind oh, yeah um sometimes if there are characters who are seem more mature yeah, i know who you're i know they... who you're talking about in book two <laughs> I, we've had this conversation. I know where the, and it is really hard. Yeah, that, that character is nothing like that character's physical description. So it is very hard. Yeah, I have trouble that, like, even in other books, um, her Throne of Glass series and the one that I'm reading right now, there are characters where, again, because of the supernatural element where they're fae or they're a vampire or they're something where they're paused in their 20s, but because my mind knows they're thousands of years old, yeah. like when I picture them, they're always older. Yeah. They're always older. Yeah. And I'm like, and then they'll they'll have to go back and there'll be a description of how young they look. I'm like, oh, right, they're young. Just because they're 2000, they actually look 20. Right, but my brain just struggles with it. It, it, it always makes them more mature in my mind's eye because I just can't wrap my head around the idea of somebody being thousands of years old and looking 
19. It is odd. 19. Um, okay, so interaction with this mercenary. So, you know, Feyre offers her the, you know, the wolf pelt. And she gives Feyre more, significantly more money than it's worth. You know, to which Feyre repl replies, like, I don't need your pity. And instead, what we learn from this mercenary is it's more of a paying it forward. You know, she's like, someone once did the same for me and mine at a time when we needed it most. Most figure it's time to repay what's due. And I thought that was really significant. Um, it definitely made me think about, you know, so we talked about in, you know, first chapter being in seasons where we are surviving, definitely not thriving. And when we're in those seasons, we often need some help. I'm not very good at asking for or accepting the help. <laughs> it seems like you're either a, a person who's really good at asking for help and you're just that person who's always asking for help and gets help with everything, but you're kind of thought of as like that person who's like always needing help. Or you're like, don't want to be that person, so you just never ask for help. I can figure this out. I got Google. Uh, we're good now. I can ask Siri. I don't need help. I don't need help from anybody else. There's, Isn't it funny? there's the extremes. It is. And yeah, I think somebody who's in a place of the ability to be in ownership, to control what we can control, to be a person who practices agency, and then also ask for help when we need it, I think is it's a rare balance that most people don't get to because our relationship with asking for help is so much born out of our own story and our own trauma and what we make it mean. Yeah right? <laughs> Which I'm funny. I I don't want to ask anybody else for help, but my husband probably wishes that I would ask him for help a little bit less. <laughs> He's your safe place to ask for help. Well, okay. And so in the last episode, I talked about being a person that feels kind of was like hypervigilant, especially when my nervous system was so dysregulated. I had such crushing anxiety over these simplest things. Um, but learning new things technology-wise, um, I briefly mentioned like buying things, I don't, I mean, really would impact my nervous system to the point of like near hyperventilating. It just caused me so much anxiety. And sometimes I would just ask him to do it for me. Um, sometimes I'm like, can you go look up how to do this and learn how and then just tell it to me? Please, please. But there were also times, even whenever whenever I was learning to really teach my nervous system that it was safe to do these things, I actually would ask him, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and purchase this thing online. Will you sit beside me? And I would be like, okay, I this is this is our and I would genuinely check, like, this is our address, right? He's like, uh-huh. And I'm like, and this is this is the right credit card, right? He's like, uh-huh. I'm like, and I click this box, right? He's like, yep. And like I just needed somebody to tell me I was doing it right because I had such wow. irrational fear that I was going to do it wrong. Yeah. And so I didn't have any problem asking him for help. And once my health started getting better, there was a time whenever I'm like, hey, I don't know how to do this thing. And he started very politely saying, I would love it if you would Google that and try. And then if you can't do it, I'm happy to help. Oh, my husband. Bless See, him. Bless him. He's actually quite good with boundaries. And 
Jeez, and wouldn't that like be that. amazing if we all were? That's fantastic. He has been, like, really, from, from the get-go in our marriage, he, like, I don't think he knew that word yeah. or what it looked like. But he, like, instinctively knew how to do boundaries. Yeah, that's awesome. It's kind of weird. I mean, I think probably, I don't know if this is a huge generalization, but I think men in general uh, do not have the struggle with boundaries that women have. And that could be very wrong and sexist of me, but that's just, I've... I know that everybody I know who even ever uses the word boundaries or thinks about that or has issues with it seems to be. I think female. there's and it's that whole like women are spaghetti and men are waffles or whatever the heck that thing is, which I is have another one. No <laughs> idea what you were talking about. It's what? my mother-in-law's language. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, she was all into women are spaghetti. Everything's like this, and then men are compartmentalized. They're Oh, Waffles. I get it. Okay, so things go together. Okay, yeah. I really had no idea where that was going. I'm like, <laughs> I am really confused here, but that's hilarious. Okay, women are spaghetti and men are waffles. Might be um, wrong, but waffles naturally have those boundaries where you can melt the butter and put the syrup in the compartments. It is interesting. And I do wonder, like I said, and I think there's there's exceptions, but there are, if we look at the idea that, again, trauma, we talked about the nervous system, and that that is passed down over, I've heard anywhere between six to eight generations, oh, wow. depending on what you're talking about. So I say, I, yeah. I usually go with seven, um, but about seven generations of what was actually unsafe is passed down genetically so that we don't die. Makes so much sense. It really, so really does. And then you think about the difference between seven generations back for men hmm, versus seven generations back for women. So for women, speaking up setting a boundary mm. like not to even get into the world of marketing having an opinion like women who are trying to do online things in the world today in business and it's like why am i struggle to market i'm like i don't know maybe because you know for the last seven generations like if a woman stood out they literally would die and your yeah. nervous system's trying to protect you because it thinks you're about to put your life in jeopardy maybe Maybe. A little bit of it. <laughs> so, anyways, whenever I work with my, um, whenever I work with my clients on marketing, most of the work we do, work we do around marketing is nervous system work. Wow, that makes sense. It really does. So, all that to say, I'm not about gender stereotypes based on gender because I don't think it's that. But I'm like, but is there truth that if you look at women in general and what we've experienced? historically over generations and what that has imprinted onto the nervous system is that different from a man yes yeah. yes because men were supposed to be out in society they were supposed to speak up they were supposed to lead they were supposed to do all these things yeah. um and so they don't have the same level of if you speak up you may be ostracized or killed or kicked out or in danger in some way so yeah it is it was all that to say i think that you actually are right on track because of what the way that we've been socialized and what women have experienced in terms of trauma over the last several decades. Yeah. <sighs> what was that related to? What were we um, talking about? Chris has boundaries. Chris has boundaries. Chris has healthy boundaries. Help. We were talking about asking <laughs> yes, for help. Asking for help. Oh my word. Speaking of tangents. We're so good at tangents. So good at tangents. But yes, but so this space of you know favor not wanting pity this really being a thing of um 
this other this mercenary paying it forward and learning to accept help not for my husband who i feel safe over asking for but from other people and sometimes for me like it's not even been for me like asking for help like i don't always necessarily need somebody to come over like for me it's been having needs and yeah kind of being willing to to say what i need or to ask for things so for example this week we have uh this week is my daughter's birthday so fun she turns 15. so tuesday we are driving her across the city to see a friend thursday i have to drive from here all the way to the airport to drop my husband off so both days are like super long drive days Um, we're going to be in the car a ton and then she's seeing another friend on wednesday for her birthday and so it was the debate of do we drive all the way to them and they, they offered like, do you want to drive her here or do you want us to drive there? And my instinct was to say, no, 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 we'll drive to you. Always I want to do that. And I had to like stop and like recognize I did have like a little bit of an elevated heart rate. I felt a little bit of mm. tension in my solar plexus to make a request of somebody else. But to actually say we actually have really long drive days on Tuesdays and Thurs on Tuesday and Thursday. If you could drive to us that day, it would be helpful. Like that was hard for me. Even was, though they were already offering they had like already they gave you the open door. Offered. Like with this with the mercenary. She's offering her more money, which Farron needs the extra she needs money it. so bad. It's like don't fight don't ask why. Don't don't who cares if it's pity? It's it's money. But <laughs> right but it's which is what the mercenary says no it's but you that. need my money you do need my money uh yeah but anyway so all that to say being being able to you know ask for help and being able to accept it it's it's such a deep thing for so for so many people um and i think it's it's really difficult which by the way actually ties into the next passage so if you have any if you have any in the middle i want to go back to it nothing okay so after we meet the mercenary we meet isaac Mm -hmm. isaac hale um and we get to learn about pharaoh's relationship with him and um what all of that looks like and on page 31 she says um i couldn't say our lovemaking was particularly skilled but it was still a release, a reprieve, a bit of selfishness. Okay, this word, selfishness, I'm like, this is not selfishness, okay? It's genuinely not. And I'm like, the number of people for whom they put the label of selfishness on what they're experiencing in a way that is not true like it's not what's happening like but so many people use this word and i've gotten to where i just like ask people or we have to call it out i'm like okay is it selfishness like first of all how do you define that what does that mean to you but most of the time what this is is people not believing that they're allowed to have needs it's like i have a need oh and meeting that's like selfish i'm like when did that happen yeah like it's not even like at least for me selfish is like okay you did something that was good for you but bad for others it was the selfish choice in that moment but in like there's it's not hurting anybody unless i mean you could get into a lot of i mean could she religious things about like oh his future wife because they're not married whatever there's my baptist mind going into a whole dialogue yeah let's just not go there (laughs) there. (laughs) i mean could we go with like could favor spend 
every single moment in the woods hunting for her family. She was taking time away from hunting still. And I think that's what people do that. But like, I mean, her sisters are aloof. Her dad is checked out and depressed. Her oldest sister is like horrible to her. Like they're barely getting by. And the girl would like a little human connection. Right? Like that's, and I mean, and we, yeah, we can get into all of the actual specifics. I would rather bypass that and just talk like metaphorically. But metaphorically, the fact that she had a need for human connection and met that need is not what selfishness is. No. Good point. I'm glad you noticed that. I didn't even notice that she called it selfish. I have like kind it's of a life coach there are, in you. There are certain words. That's should, a good word. Should That's is a, a good word. Selfishness is a, is a word. But like, yes, yeah, selfish, when people talk about that word, there's there's a few of them because I, I see them come up so much. And there are words that I've seen very people, very few people use the word selfish in a way that is actually accurate to the definition. Usually if somebody is bringing up that word, I'm like, it, it's almost like a red flag for me of like, what trauma happened? Yeah. Who said what about you? Where did this come from? Where was this teaching? Like, and, you know, the story and where it develops and what, how people are defining this, it's, the flavor is different, but it was typically some version of being taught that they aren't allowed to have needs or having needs makes them weak or that their needs are less than other people's needs or whatever it is. But it's always a some aspect of this like unhealthy relationship with the fact that as a human being we have needs and it's okay to meet them yes yes excellent point Lori. <laughs> i like that oh Feyre. Oh, so even though even though we can look at this and be like okay so maybe this isn't the healthiest choice in some ways. I yes. don't like calling it wasn't selfish. selfish. Yes, yeah. but I love, I, I love that uh, that shared understanding of how wretched our lives were and would always be. Back to this. Back to Feyre and her hopelessness. Back to, her hopelessness. Back to that. But she still, I loved you. In the very next chapter, you know, she. Um, you know, she says, I wasn't yet desperate enough to ask him yeah, to see me after yeah. he was wet. So she, After he was wet, yeah. Right. I wasn't desperate enough yet. But meaning, like, that's in the back of her mind. <laughs> she very well might try to keep this up after he's married. And that's, you know, that's fair. But she's got, but she's got some self-respect here, you know. Well, what I w- really thought was interesting, that I don't know if I noticed it on my first read, but just rereading it, I, I really was... Feyre, a week later, so he comes along, brings her these beautiful eggs. He left her feeling not not quite so alone. A week later, I pulled him into that decrepit barn. Feyre, <laughs> my goodness, he wasn't even putting the moves on her. She pulled him into the barn. That's that's different. Well, I think it tells us, you know, that we we start to see that, you know, there is this character of she's not unwilling to go after what she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that show up later. Um, and I think it's sort of a one of those foreshadowing or glimpses into her true self and part of like who she is that's been sort of covered over with just being in this survival space. But yeah. we're like, she's not a timid she is creature. Not. Even though it seems like she is. Like she seems, yeah, but she's... 
just not yeah. well and part of it right now is like she's starving she's tiny she's yeah. she's in a place where there's so much like helplessness um with with all of this but like we're like underneath there mm-hmm. there's a girl with some grit and with some well, spirit under there man. Yeah, there's some spirit and like we're gonna get Definitely. to meet her um okay last last thing that stood out to me was that so after she decides you know she's she's done at the market isaac's here she'd rather hang out with him so she's gonna go hang out with him and she just gives out the gives the money to um, Elaine and Nesta and lets them go. So there had been all this discussion about who's buying what with the money, um, and you know Elaine and Nesta they both had the things that they wanted. Um, back in uh, the last chapter, we learned though that like Feyre needs shoes more than anybody else. Yeah. Um, but actually falling apart, and she's actually going out into the snow every day to hunt for their food, uh-huh. and they just want new shoes because they uh-huh. have lost some of their sparkle. Uh-huh. Um, and it sounds like Elaine may have needed a cloak, but at the end of the day, she doesn't fight for what she needs. She doesn't even prioritize it. She gives them the money and lets them go to town and buy whatever she wants. And this is one of those things where, again, getting kind of metaphorical, uh, the question I've asked people a lot of times, I'm like, okay, if you had a priority list, where do you fall on it? I'm like, are you even on page one? Are we even on or page two? Or do you literally two? just take yourself and as things get added, you just keep cutting and then dropping it back. To, oh, whatever else. There's new things. I'm just going to keep moving me down to the bottom of the list. Right. And yeah, she, I mean, she had this relationship to having needs. So like, if I meet my needs, I'm being selfish. I have stuff that I want, but if my sisters want stuff, like they get it first. Um, and we're going to, we're going to start to see as we go on where that comes from. But it's interesting, the narratives in our mind that lead us to believe that we don't deserve Hmm. to have our needs met yeah and we're gonna see hers and we're gonna see where they come from um and we're gonna see sort of how she thinks of herself but this moment right here for me was was significant of what happens when we have things in our past when we have that turn into narratives in our mind that lead us to believe that we don't deserve as much as other people we don't advocate for our needs. They don't get met. And then our feet are cold in the snow. <laughs> and then our feet are cold. <laughs> or something entirely different that's actually relevant to our stories. But yeah. So, all right, chapter three. And then this is where we have the big break between. So all the way up to this point was just our history our mm-hmm. where Feyre came from this is all of our context and now stuff gets real dun 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 because end of the chapter she's about to finally have the conversation with Nesta about Thomas Mandre yeah. I turned to her opening my mouth <laughs> But there was a roar that half deafened me, and my sisters screamed as snow burst into the room, and an enormous, growling shape appeared in the doorway. End of chapter three. End of chapter three. Bum, bum, bum! Yay!
Well, thank you for joining us today on A Court of Transformation and Awakening. And if you haven't already, be sure to hop on over to ACOTA, that's A-C-O-T-A-A dot circle S-O, where you can tell us what you thought about this chapter and what your feedback and takeaways and how did you experience this? Probably different than we did. Mm -hmm. Definitely didn't probably think about selfishness for as long as Lori did, which is amazing. I love the way her brain works. Um, and also while you're there, you can also look into all of that fun stuff that we have going on there. And we look forward to seeing you there very soon. Okay. Bye, Bye guys.